that will be my biggest advice. Understand the regulatory aspect of solar, followed by the technology behind it, and of course, the financial options available to your clients. Hello, this is your host, Benoit Thanjan, and welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm excited to have our guest today. He's Alex Rivera. He's the Vice President at Vanguard Energy Partners. Vanguard is a national EPC that's built 105 megawatts of projects, and I think there's 30 megawatts in the pipeline as well. They also do O&M-related services, and I think manage about 88 megawatts from looking at your website. So I'm excited to have Alex. You know, it was funny because Vanguard was actually the first place that I worked in the solar industry. And I don't know if you remember, we actually spent a lot of time together researching the Massachusetts SREC market. Indeed. Back in the day, that was like the sort of first incentive in Massachusetts to stimulate the market. We were trying to figure out, I know Alex at that time was going to Massachusetts and opened the Boston office at a certain point. So I'm excited to introduce Alex, and you know he has a lot of experience. He's the basically the vice president of business development at Vanguard Energy Partners, and focuses on developing relationships with CNI commercial industrial customers going solar. So uh, I'm introducing Alex. If you could maybe talk about your background more than what what I said, and and I'm excited to have you on the show because you could bring a lot of great perspective and experience. Certainly, Benoit, and thanks for having me here in the wonderful Jersey City. New Jersey. Uh, my background stems from uh, business development, concentration in business management, and international studies. Those are my very early educational years, which, my gosh, uh, I still do remember. Um, so my background and I guess my entry to the distributed solar space dates back to early 2007. Yes, I do remember clearly first time we met and how we very much enjoyed analyzing and breaking down the SREC program in Massachusetts, which if we remember, Benoit, back then, that was uh, their big call to fame was that Massachusetts was trying to do what Jersey did, but of course better. Better, yes. And to correct at that time, because you had the price fluctuations of the solar renewable energy credits, which is basically an environmental offset. Massachusetts created an artificial price floor. They were trying to basically fix the problems that were in New Jersey. And the first solicitation, or the SREC 1 program, was 400 megawatts worth of projects. And, and they stepped in. And one of the initial auctions of this, well, auction for lack of a better term, of those SRECs, they actually stepped in and funded and set the tone. And then they, of course, let a lot of their regulated utilities do what they should have done at the beginning. And it took quite a bit of shape. Yeah, I do remember sitting across the street from uh, the Board of Public Utilities down in Massachusetts by South Station. And yes. Yeah, certainly a real great experience. But definitely my origins date back to New Jersey and the early cash core rebate, sure, as you remember. Sure, the program in New Jersey, yes. That's right, which led to the structure in, I believe, April of 2005, when New Jersey SRECs actually became a, a live currency, Definitely. for lack of a better term. I do remember those days very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> How did you join Vanguard Energy Partners? A lot of people don't know this, but you actually commute back and forth 
between Florida and New Jersey, which relates to your passion for solar. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what got you interested in solar and specifically what you focus on? So I'm going to go back to 2004, 2005, when my brother, an environmental attorney, shared with me his interest on the current legislation heading toward renewable energy. And he was sharing with me a lot of this tides, a lot of this movement, a lot of interest toward seeing legislation promote the distributed space of renewable energy. That led to my visits in 2006 to Peter and Lyndon Reeves, the founders of Solar City. I went to their small office in San Francisco. Which is funny because then after Vanguard, I actually worked at Solar City for Linden. Oh, interesting. Which is, it's kind of interesting how it's a small world. I remember you saying this back yes. in the day. So that led to further industry work. Nothing materialized with the Solar City folks, but I ended up connecting with Nelson Ferreira, who is a longtime heavy construction contractor with a 30-year history in New Jersey and New York. And really, our early stages were primarily involving energy metering, the birth of Noveda Technologies. Sure. And, and Noveda Technologies is a sister company of basically Nelson Ferrer's companies, and it's basically an energy monitoring company. Correct, which is now not really associated with Nelson as equity came in and took control of the company. And uh, it was one of those chilly evenings in New Jersey where we decided to enter the EPC market by way of acquisition. We basically procure a company, an existing original solar developer and installer in New Jersey, New Jersey Solar Solutions. We reorganized the company under the brand name Vanguard Energy Partners, and that really led to the last 11 years of uh, EPC work and a lot of maintenance work and some structure finance work, as you well know. You were a participant on the early structuring of the first and probably one of the first and largest public-private transactions, the Somerset Project in New Jersey. So that's our origins uh, of Vanguard. It was uh, by way of acquisition and it's been a very interesting history ever since. Yeah, that is definitely very interesting. I think the other interesting thing with New Jersey Solar Solutions, that was a residential company, right? And then you reorganized it to be a commercial industrial utility scale. Why didn't you stick to the residential as one of the partners of Vanguard Energy Partners? We really wanted to take advantage of the economies of scale. We knew that New Jersey being such a dense industry-focused state even though there's obviously a lot of residential opportunities, we felt it was a better fit given our background under the Ferrara construction, which is really the the main owner, which is now 100% owner of Vanguard Energy Partners. Their background is large-scale heavy construction projects. So between our background at Ferrara and more importantly, our understanding or our views that the potential was within large-scale commercial, industrial, and small utility, given the opportunities in New Jersey, it was a no-brainer to refocus in the CNI space. Sure, and I think what I noticed as well, too, is obviously the relationships that 
for construction has with doing a lot of business in New Jersey. That actually helped as well with customer acquisition for Vanguard Energy Partners as well. There was a pretty big synergy. Yeah, and, and certainly the fact that uh, energy itself, it's a noticeable and material expense within your operational expenses. It's something that for our construction lift every day. And we just were convinced that the CNI and general commercial sector would greatly, greatly benefit sure. from what New Jersey was attempting to do back in 2006, 2005. We thought that the combination of strong political will in adopting renewable energy within the state, setting forth a reasonable incentive program with a reasonable cost to the ratepayer, really spelled great opportunity for the commercial sector, and that's why we went after it. Definitely. And to go into that, too, about the commercial sector, can you talk a little bit about how you approach clients, commercial clients, about going solar and the process, which could be the customer acquisition aspect. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because at the end of the day, we have to understand the difference between the distributed solar market and centralized or utility. We serve the end user. We serve the rate payer. We focus into the commercial and industrial space, which we all know involves a very long cycle. And even though we welcome such cycle. It's painful, it's expensive, but you have to really be flexible and understand the process. Solar in the commercial sector involves a long educational cycle. We really have a very straightforward three-step approach. Education followed by the main components of solar, which are the financial, the technical, and the regulatory aspects of solar. But no doubt, Addressing all three items begins and reaches commercial operations in a specific project with that educational component. The educational aspect of it never leaves. From the business owner, whether it's a board, a publicly traded entity, to the very chief financial officers and controllers, the education aspect of solar is here to stay. And even in New Jersey, where we do consider... New Jersey being one of the most mature markets besides California in our solar energy industry, you still have to this day, in this year, 2018, you still have a one or two year selling cycle for reaching an actual transaction. Some of them take a lot longer, and I can give you some examples if you care to hear about them, but overall, one to two year is a very realistic cycle for the customer or client to really reach a strong sense of comfort of either moving forward or assessing the initiative as non-feasible. Be ready for that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Can you talk about what are the key sort of decision points that make someone want to go solar, a commercial industrial customer? So, yeah, let's talk about that because at the end of the day, even though you have financial, technical, and regulatory aspects in solar, you will no doubt that you will notice that the financial aspect of that process of educating the client as to the benefits of solar will be paramount in that interaction. We find that as an originator of these transactions, you have to understand your audience. North America chose federal tax credits as the currency to foster investment confidence from the marketplace. And therefore, if you are going to be involved in originating and nurturing these relationships, you first must understand your client's 
DAX situation. Once you have a clear understanding of their appetite for this federal liability in terms of the IRS level, then you can then take step number two and look for the correct solar financial option that will meet your client's tax appetite, for lack of a better term. That's what it boils down to. If your client is able to fully monetize these tax credits within a reasonable time, allowing your estimated cash flows to match what you're proposing to the client, then you have a clear cash purchase option. From there, you go on to other options that will enable the client to still benefit from solar, but yet overcome their lack of tax appetite. Sure. Definitely. And what Alex is talking about, there's basically a 30% investment tax credit, which basically 30% of the cost of the system, you could basically take it as a tax offset. And also there's accelerated depreciation as well on makers five years. It was obviously easier when the cash grant was there. Unfortunately, having this sort of tax incentive situation makes it a lot more complicated to get deals done because you have to first find out whether your client has the tax equity to be able to take on the credit. If not, then you have to find another party, either usually through a lease or third party financing through a power purchase agreement. Yeah, definitely. Great point. At the end of the day, around 60% of your project capex or project total investment will be recaptured through federal tax credits, whether it's the accelerated maker's depreciation or it's a straight 30% tax credit. So that tells you right there, you have a heavily dependent tax-driven investment to deal with. That is followed by, of course, the in-state cash incentives and, of course, ultimately, the energy savings. So understanding the breakdown of that investment allows you to then select the most feasible option for your client to best monetize solar. But you're right. It is quite the process to really understand what's at hand and how to make it fit best. I think another key aspect of it is people ask why New Jersey is such a great market for solar. Obviously, the SREC values have been extremely high in it. Can you talk about like maybe like some of these payback analysis when you look at as you mentioned, 60% is covered by a federal tax incentives. Then you have an SREC, which right now is you know at $220 yep. per kilowatt hour or $0.22. Cents. At the end of the day, isn't the client really focused on whether they save money on it? And that's the primary focus. Like, Are people doing solar just for the sustainability or renewable energy? I think it's a combination these days, Benoit. Great point. I'm going to say back nine years ago, eight years ago, the sustainable aspect of it was something that was not really focused on. Folks were really interested on this investment return because, as you just said, in the Northeast, which is somewhat ironic, the returns are robust. No ifs or buts about that. And they're robust because of high electricity cost and high state-level incentive, right? Because people have that perspective how, you know, a state like Massachusetts, New Jersey, getting a lot of solar compared to maybe the Sunshine State, which you could go into about Florida and why there hasn't been as much development as well. Yes. Earlier in this podcast, you asked me about my background. And yes, I am an 11-year commuter between Palm Beach and Newark, New Jersey. I'm going to say around the first eight years, it was Monday through Friday. 
So I would be in Newark by 8.45, 9 o'clock in the morning. And I will be back in Palm Beach that Friday around 6 o'clock at night. Week in, week out. Now I do every other week. Sometimes I do weeks in a row, but my schedule is somewhat more flexible. So let's go back to why New Jersey versus other states. I first have to recognize that the political will in New Jersey is robust and conducive to have a very material incentive program. That, along with the obvious, our cost of electricity is high when compared to other states. You look at the state of Florida, which Nextera and Duke do a fantastic job in providing low cost of electricity. However, when you look and you compare at a solar investment in the Northeast, specifically New Jersey versus Florida, it's quite ironic. The Sunshine State has a horrific, for lack of a better definition, payback when it comes to solar. So New Jersey offers a very credible, a compliance-driven incentive that we all know. It's called the Solar Renewable Energy Certificate. We all know that when the sun hits a solar module here in New Jersey, there are two byproducts. You receive electricity, which you consume and avoid paying the utility. And number two, and in conjunction or in parallel, you are receiving a commodity, a renewable energy commodity called the SREC. So this combination of federal tax credits with the in-state incentive and the ability to save on the high cost of electricity yields anywhere between 2.8 to 4-year payback pre-tax on an asset which has a 25-year energy output warranted life. So when you really take a step back and you think about that proposition of being able to recapture your investment within four years for an asset that's going to save your business or your home for 25 years, I don't want to call it as a no-brainer, but it's quite the robust offer. And this is why New Jersey is, in 2017, was the fifth largest producer of solar electricity. And if you look back to 1999, we had six, seven installations in the state of New Jersey. Today, as of August 2018, we have over 99,000 installations with a total rate of capacity of around 2.5 gigawatts. So that's the reality in New Jersey. I would not want to be involved in solar anywhere else for the foreseeable future than the Northeast. That involves New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, all the real regions here in the Northeast. Sure. That was actually going into another question. Like, what's so you, the real ideal states for solar you, you think are, are the Northeast states? For, for sure. I wanted to say you have to take a close look at SMART, S M A R T, the new Massachusetts based solar incentive program is robust, is predictable. It absolutely fosters investment confidence, and it's really coming with some nice innovation in terms of how do they stress certain regions, certain type of installations. They are actually discouraging green areas, large farmlands from developing solar. They're really putting their money where they want to see generation take place. I find that Massachusetts program to be wonderful. 
I'm sure, Benoit, you have looked at New York. New York has strong aspirations in the renewable industry, and they're also putting their funding and their ratepayer support where it's needed. And, of course, it goes without saying that New Jersey, in my humble opinion, is the absolute best market for individual businesses and residences to go solar. It's interesting. You talked about the SMART program. The real difference is going from a feed-in tariff, right, where you have basically a fixed, you know what the incentive is going to be versus an SREC, which is a tradable commodity. So, you know, Massachusetts has transitioned from the SREC to SMART program, which uh, hopefully will create less sort of investor volatility, lower cost to the ratepayer by having some sort of fixed incentive over a period of time. And definitely it's financeable because it's going through directly through the utility. You are correct. Having that predictability as SMART, the program SMART in Massachusetts offers, no doubt will make financing and creative financing further take the in-state goals of renewable energy to the next level. But I will give New Jersey a lot of credit because every stakeholder meeting has the right mix. You have regulators, you have industry stakeholders, you have a strong presence from the ratepayer advocates looking to ensure that the proper cost to the ratepayer is maintained in check in this process of incentivizing and promoting the development of renewable energy. So even with the uncertainty and volatility of the ESRIC incentive, we have been able to develop quite a bit in terms of capacity. New Jersey stands, as I said, fifth in 2017 in the nation. That's why the feed. So we are looking forward to changes to come. But I will say this change to come is one that has the industry very nervous. Definitely. That's a great transition to the next topic. Obviously, Governor Murphy has been very pro-renewable energy. What is it, 50% renewables by 2050? 100 by 50, uh, 50 percent by 2030. And yes, it's a strong RPS. And let's define RPS, Renewable Portfolio Standards. It's the goal of the state in defining the amount of energy generated from a renewable source. So it's a strong goal, but one that it's in the middle of crafted. And that is exactly what I am worried about, and so is the industry. We are going to have a bridge program between the ending of the current program and the new program. That's the real question. Definitely, even though there's so much excitement for New Jersey, as you said, and we actually had a prior conversation about this, really the current SREC program in New Jersey, once solar reaches 5.1%, then it ends. And I know we talked about different forecasts that we've been seeing. It seems like what the big concern in the industry is that it's going to take the time for New Jersey's government to come up with the incentive. And basically, the market will be dead or slowed down until there's guidance or actually enacted legislation, which happened to Massachusetts, actually, with transitioning from the SREC to now the SMART program really development, or actually not development, but actual construction really decreased. And this is kind of similar to back in 2012. Wow, you're right. Where New Jersey, the SRECs went down substantially, where it made it difficult for projects to pencil. And until Governor Christie at the time passed the 2012 
Solar Act, which increased the RPS to basically create increased demand as a compliance obligation, which raised prices. So you're right on the money. Fast forward six years from that very unstable period of 2012, when Christie has to step in as the governor of New Jersey and increase the demand for this solar environmental credit, which is the asset or currency which a solar project owner monetizes in order to recapture back the investment. Let's not forget, that's what it is. Here we are again in 2018. I'll give you a snapshot of where we stand today. Solar contractors, solar, the industry, is at a very volatile and nervous state of mind because, as you just mentioned, the moment solar generation accounts for 5.1% of New Jersey's conventional electricity, the SREG market ceases to exist. This is per the recently enacted AB 3723, which as we all know became law, and stated this milestone, which really is putting a lot of pressure on the stakeholders. But let's not forget. So now you have a loan cycle process for a ratepayer to become comfortable in making a solar investment. So now you have this deadline, which no one knows exactly when it's going to happen. I personally believe this is going to happen early on the first quarter of next year. So we have just a few months before all of a sudden the SREG will end, the current incentive program will end. So if you are a business owner, you're having to accelerate and prioritize your solar due diligence process in order to capture eligibility for the SREGs. Because let's not forget, this legislation recently enacted enables applications for new solar projects to receive 10, not 15, years of SREG revenues. So as we sit here today discussing this situation, Every stakeholder, every EPC, every maintenance provider in the state of New Jersey is in a race in capturing this ESREC eligibility in the state of New Jersey. And I think that is very challenging as a business development person to talk to CNI clients about that. And I know from my conversations, they don't truly understand it. So you have to really spend a lot of time educating them about these different incentives, which makes it extremely challenging in how to move forward because we know that the new incentive is going to be probably lower. Certainly. Great point. Because at the end of the day, this new legislation looks to accomplish a more cost-effective program to the ratepayer. And that only spells one thing to me. That spells a lower incentive structure. So how do you as an originator sit on a boardroom or an office with a business owner, knowing that this program is going to end soon. And in one end, you're looking to support objectively and responsibly the proper solar due diligence necessary to reach that contract while stressing the critical nature of this deadline just looming around the corner. It's a tough proposition. You talked about eligibility for the 10-year SREC program. So does businesses have to have a signed EPC contract? What documents have to be? That's a great question and one that a lot of people are very quickly coming to learn that in order for you to receive eligibility of 
10 years of SREC revenues, you have to have a signed and executed solar contract with your solar vendor. So unfortunately, and I shouldn't say unfortunately, fortunately, the requirement is in place in order to discourage folks who are just trying to first capture the eligibility to then worry about the project details. The state of New Jersey is making it very clear. If you are going to make this eligibility and still get 10 years of revenue from the current SREC program, you better have a well-defined project ready to break ground. Yes. No ifs or buts about that. That makes it kind of clear from a qualification perspective, but also very nerve-wracking as an originator, trying to push to get projects to move forward and to make sure to get the same economics that you propose. I encourage our competitors to really drive their efforts with objective data. I think if you sit with off-takers and you show the language on the legislation, let the facts of the law state the urgency of the decision-making and the process will basically fall into place. You don't have any guidance as far as timing for the transition to the new program or even the successor program, right? There hasn't been anything. My first and most important milestone is the end of the current ESREC program, which I believe will take place, my personal opinion, after reviewing the solar energy reports from the New Jersey Clean Energy Program, I think late in the first month of the 2019 year. I think we hit 5.1%. So keep in mind that the reports in the New Jersey Clean Energy Program do include SREC applications, which are yet to be fully constructed, and some will fall off because of different reasons. So it's a tough thing to predict. However, I think our construction rates and the urgency in the industry will lead to a very early expiration of this program. Sure. And I think this is a good point. I know we keep talking about it, but really right now, renewable energy, specifically solar that we're talking about is dependent on incentives to make it economical. And uh, so that's why, unfortunately, there will be a time, hopefully in the near future, where we're at grid parity, which in certain states like California, Arizona, Hawaii, I think we're already there. But obviously, in other states, it'll be a lot easier once you don't have to deal with an incentive like program or structure to make things work. The solar industry is heading in the right direction. If you look back at the average cost of a commercial solar project dating back to 2007, 2008, there's been a 75% plus drop on the cost of constructing solar facilities. So we are certainly heading in the right direction. And all this public funding that's been placed toward research, they were incentivizing this clean energy facilities like solar photovoltaic is certainly having a verifiable effect on the cost to the ratepayer. At the end of the day, we are heading towards solar one day not being fully dependent on a 60% total federal tax subsidy. And as you well know, I'm estimating the depreciation to be around 30%. But we do have a straightforward business investment tax credit of 30%. So we're heading in the right direction. Definitely. And also, the other thing, too, is the technology is getting better. The capacity factor, meaning 
how much usable uh, sunlight that you could convert to energy has probably increased dramatically from, I remember 10 to 11% to now we're hearing 23%. So almost double in the past five or six years or seven years. And it's all about the density as well. And by density, I mean, let me give you a very clear example. 2010, 2011, I installed modules in my home of 240 watt capacity each module. Today, we're building with 375 to 410 watts a module that are between 17.5 to 20% efficiency. That is a monumental improvement on the technology itself, but also the fact that you can, in the same footprint on your rooftop, can greatly increase the amount of solar energy produced because for a slight increase on the module size, you have almost double the size of capacity per square foot. Sure, that's, that's huge. monumental. The other monumental thing is everyone's looking at solar plus storage. What are your thoughts regarding storage and coupling it with solar? So we've seen storage cost overall since 2010, storage costs have fallen 70%. And I will speculate that we are going to see another 70% drop by 2030. That's my stance. Another factor that's going to have a big influence in the deployment of storage are going to be two needs. The first need, which we're seeing, is going to come from clients looking to backup for backup generation. What we typically understand as your emergency load or emergency source for when power is out. So that's going to be a very popular sector where storage is going to play an obvious role. But also, as solar photovoltaic increases its presence in your substations, in your circuits, you're going to see regulated utilities requiring an exorbitant amount of improvements and modifications in order for your solar project to interact safely with the flow of power the regulated utilities are assigned to manage. And because of that, you're going to see the commercial industrial sector deploying storage and batteries to really pick and choose the time of consumption of that renewable energy. As we all know, solar energy is dependent on the sun, so having batteries allows you the convenience of storing that power and utilizing that power during expensive periods of the day. And I believe these modifications within the local substations requiring a lot of expensive additions to your solar project will inevitably push the client to store that energy and utilize at their most convenient period. Sure. And it seems like the most popular technology is lithium-ion. We're seeing some of the cost decreases that we're seeing in solar happening. And that's why you were talking about the 2030 as the time frame. Yeah, lithium is definitely playing a big role. And certainly we're seeing it. We're seeing it in New Jersey. We're seeing closed networks to further photovoltaic capacity. And we're getting there. We need batteries cost to continue to decrease, but equally as important, we need the batteries warranty to start being the same terms as the modules. Sure. You have a seven-year battery warranty versus a 25-year module warranty. It's a bit of a dislocation that we need to make sure it gets to 
a more equal and parallel structure in order to promote that confidence. That makes sense. It really does, and we're seeing it. We're seeing a lot of clients who are starting to focus in demand charges because as you guys, as we all know, there's different components in your utility invoice. You have the delivery of energy, you have the supply of energy, and you have demand-related fees, which cannot be guaranteed to be offset or decreased by solar energy, since none of us know exactly when that business will record their high-peak demand in comparison to the existence of solar irradiance. So if there's not a matchup there, that component needs to be removed from the expected savings. So you are seeing more folks attempt to utilize battery technology to address those high peaks demand periods, which some businesses are able to define as their heavy, intense manufacturing periods, as their generation or yeah. charging their stations. So, so we're seeing a lot of clients looking to now address kilowatt mm-hmm. versus kilowatt hours. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. And then totally unrelated, obviously you've been in the industry longer than a lot of people have. What suggestions do you have someone who wants to get into the industry, the solar roller coaster? I think the first thing a newcomer to the industry should understand is energy itself. Educating yourself as to how energy is, conventional energy I'm, I'm referring to, is generated, how is regulated in the specific region you're looking to deploy solar should be step number one. Because at the end of the day, if you're looking to offset the expense of a commodity, which you don't understand, it clearly puts you at a disadvantage. Understand the conventional power generation. You don't need to be an expert, but you need to understand it. Once you understand that conventional power generation, understand how it's regulated. Understand your regional regulators. In our area, PJM controls, uh, I believe, 14 states, uh, the flow of energy around 14 states. Understand PJM. Last, but equally as important, understand your in-state and regional regulatory steps toward deploying solar energy. It is a must. There is no way you are going to get in front of a residential or commercial off-taker that you are trying to make the case of retrofitting their site with renewable energy and not understanding that regulatory structure. It is critical. So that will be my biggest advice. Understand the regulatory aspect of solar, followed by the technology behind it, and of course the financial options available to your clients. You certainly don't want to go into solar as just a service that you're looking to sell. You must really educate yourself. And I do come across a lot of wonderful colleagues in the industry who tend to stress more one specific aspect over the other. And when I visit a client, it is critically important that I understand all three aspects, technical, financial, and regulatory. There's no need to begin a one or two or three year process of making the case of adopting solar energy with a client where you need to bring a team of experts to explain all these different scenarios of solar. Do your diligence, attend seminars, 
attend educational programs. There's plenty out there. And once you are well equipped with this knowledge, do your client the great service of properly explaining how solar energy not only works, but it's actually encouraged at that specific state. Solar energy in New Jersey is very different than solar energy in California and how it's actually incentivized. You must know that. Sure. That's such great advice, Alex. Yeah, we see our one of our largest client is Goya Foods. I'm sure you guys have heard of Goya being one the largest Hispanic-owned food manufacturer in the world. And not only are they our largest client, but also the most diversified one. We have completed anywhere between 8 or 9 megawatts all throughout the Northeast, but also in California. We actually put a 1.2 megawatt in the city of industry. So you need to really understand the different programs in order to really convey the benefit to your client. That makes sense. Well, Alex, this has been an amazing time at the podcast, and I appreciate you coming to beautiful Jersey City after your visit with Goya Food. So thank you for being part of the Solar Maverick podcast. And I think our listeners and I have learned a lot from the time that we have with you today. Well, thanks for having me. And I hope that through this podcast, I'll be able to interact with others. And at the end of the day, it's all about supporting our state's commitment to renewable energy. And let's do our part. Sure. And what's the best way people could get in touch with you or learn about uh, Vanguard Energy Partners or what you're exactly doing? Please reach out to me anytime at alex at vanguardenergypartners.com. We are located in Somerville, New Jersey, with offices throughout New York in California. And I'm here to support my colleagues, my competitors, anybody in this industry interested in supporting the state's commitment, whether that it's New York or that's Massachusetts or New Jersey. I'm here to offer my little knowledge that I have accumulated in the past 11 years. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community, and that's what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can.